Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's gospel highlights a core biblical paradox, a paradox that all of us struggle with in the Christian life, what it looks like for us to apply it in our life. And to get at that paradox and why it is that way, let me start with two moments from the Reformation, which I think uh, illustrate the paradox. The first moment is familiar to you. We celebrated the 500th anniversary of it a couple of years ago. In 1517, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses to the door in Wittenberg, the church door in Wittenberg. There, setting forth the, uh, and setting into motion the movement that would become the Reformation, whose central message and recovery was that we are saved by grace through faith alone on account of Christ alone. That here we are, that we come before God with empty hands and he gives to you and me everything. It's not because of any meritorious works by us that we are loved and accepted by God, but simply and solely by his grace. When Luther posted those 95 theses on the door, that was the beginning of that movement of the Reformation. That's the first moment I want you to hold in your mind. Now the second one, is this, and it came about 10 years later after the Reformation had started to take hold throughout Europe and Luther thought, you know what, now would be a good time for me to do some visitation and to go out and to see the impact that the Reformation has had on normal, ordinary Christians and churches throughout the country. And so he, he goes out and he starts visiting churches and what he sees terrifies him. He writes this, he says, the deplorable, miserable condition that I discovered. Good God, what manifold misery I beheld. The people live like dumb brutes and irrational hogs. Now that the gospel has come, they have nicely learned to abuse all freedom like experts. <laughs> Harsh words. But it was those visitations that precipitated him developing what we call now the small catechism. He realized people need to learn more about the scriptures. They need to know more about this faith that they believe in. But here is that second moment I want you to see. This um, decided lack of good works among the people of God. Using the gospel and the good news of God's grace as a license to live however they pleased. These two moments taken together are illustrative of this paradox of good works in the Christian life. As Jesus said in today's gospel, he says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. What is the role of good works in the Christian life? Well, I want to submit to you today that they are an unnecessary necessity. They are an unnecessary necessity necessity. Say, Pastor, that sounds like, like an oxymoron. I would say, yes, exactly. Because this is the way that they are presented in the scriptures. On the one hand, good works are shown to us to be completely unnecessary. That when we come before God, we come as those who are saved simply and solely by grace. But then, on the other hand, as Luther learned as he did those visitations, no, good works are absolutely necessary. This is how we live as believers. We seek to serve others and to give glory and honor to God through our daily lives. It's both of these things at 
the same time. Good works are an unnecessary necessity. We get ourselves into trouble when we fall off only on one side or the other, only focusing on how unnecessary they are or on how necessary they are. So this morning, in the next few minutes that we have together, I want to completely and finally resolve this problem for you. No. What I'd like to do is to lead us into deeper meditation on this paradox so that you and I might live faithfully in the tension. See? Because in this life, the tension is not resolved. And so how can we dwell there faithfully, recognizing both the necessity and the lack of necessity for good works? Okay, well, let's look at each side in turn. And I want to start over here with how good works are completely unnecessary. But some are tempted only to focus on their necessity. You need to be about good works if you are going to be a good Christian, a faithful believer. And you know what? For those who would only focus on that necessity side of it, there's much to be said for that. Shoot, we don't have to go much further than today's gospel when Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, we know all about the scribes and Pharisees. We know that these were the, the people who in Jesus' day, yes, they were his opponents, but they were also the ones who were most, most fastidious in keeping the law. These were the ones who were trying to devote themselves to good works. Granted, they were using it then as a, a kind of leverage against God, but if our righteousness is going to exceed theirs, surely we need to be devoting ourselves wholeheartedly to good works. This is what the Christian life is to be about. If you and I are going to show that we mean business, and if God is going to be impressed and pleased with our lives of, of service and faithfulness, you and I must be doing good works. It's an absolute necessity. And there's much truth to this. We don't just have to stop at today's gospel. You can go all throughout the scriptures. You heard that Old Testament reading today where you heard, unless you pour yourself out for the sake of your neighbors, to feed, give bread to the hungry, to clothe the naked. These are words that our Lord himself would echo in Matthew 25. Care for the least of these. Show that sort of mercy and compassion. Then when you do that, God says, your light will shine forth like the dawn. Good works are necessary. Anyone who would say that they don't have a place in the Christian life, they're fooling you, see. But if this is all that you focus on, if you only look to the necessity of the good works, it can also lead you down some difficult paths. It can lead you into a kind of spiritual perfectionism, see. Now, I don't know, you don't need to admit it, I know we've got a few perfectionists in here. I, myself, I'm a recovering perfectionist, I would say, right? Where everything has to be just so, where your scrupulosity makes yourself and other people a little bit sick, okay? And this can happen when you only focus on the necessity of good works. It inevitably, inevitably leads you into one of two places, which in fact, although they might seem to be miles apart, are two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, it can lead you to a place of spiritual pride, where you're looking down on other believers because you say, well, they are not doing as many good works as I am. I'm somebody who is 
really devoted to living for the kingdom, to following God's will. They're just kind of carnal, lukewarm believers, but I'm somebody who's really serious about it. My righteousness, well, I don't know if I want to say that it exceeds the scribes and Pharisees yet, but it's getting there. It leads to that spiritual pride on the one hand. But on the other hand, it leads to a spiritual despair. You say, well, that seems totally different from the pride. In a way it is, but it's really just the flip side of it. Rather than feeling all puffed up for all the good works that we're doing, the despair comes when we have those moments of realization, oh wait, I'm not as perfect as I thought I was. You know, usually you've got your, your day all planned out and everything goes according to plan. The kids get up without crying. Yes, mother, how may I serve you today? That's your typical day. But then there's those other days where the kids are screaming. There's poop smeared on the walls. You're, pulling, you're lighting your hair on fire. This is not a true story, by the way. That's just <clears throat> heard about it in other places. And you think, oh, how am I going to do it? And it can lead you to a place of despair. Because you think, wait a second, I, ha I have founded my identity on my performance and all the good works that I'm doing. If my righteousness is not exceeding that of the scribes and Pharisees, what hope do I have of heaven? Oh, no! Can you see how these are two sides of the same coin? That perfectionism before God. Jesus wills for you and me to be perfect and for our righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. But friends, it doesn't come through your performance. It comes through Christ's perfection. His righteousness is the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. His work accomplished already on your behalf makes you perfect in the sight of our Heavenly Father. And it's right there in Jesus' words, although you have to look closely. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Those are indicative statements. What's an indicative statement? An indicative means it's a description of reality. This is the way that things are. An imperative is a command. But Jesus doesn't say, you should be the light of the world. Hey, hey, you ought to be the salt of the earth or else. No, he says you are that already. By virtue of your relationship with him, through holy baptism, by faith, you are already the light of the world. You are already the salt of the earth. This is who he has made you to be. So if we only focus on the necessity of the good works, we lose sight of the fact that before God, no, they are totally unnecessary. You are already holy, spotless, and perfect in his sight. Don't ever think that your identity is dependent on your performance or your spiritual perfectionism. God loves you in just the mess that you are. So that's the one side. We want to hold together this paradox. The good works, yes, they're so important, but they're also unnecessary. But now, let's go to the flip side. See, if there are some who so stress the necessity of good works that they lose sight of how unnecessary they are before the Lord. There are also those, and I'm just going to say it, I think this is more a temptation among us Lutherans, who only focus on how unnecessary good works are for your salvation and then start to tamp down the necessity of them. I had a, a professor who was trying to really drill this point home. And he said, you know what? When it comes to your salvation, it really doesn't make that much of a difference whether you help the old lady across the street or whether you push her in front of a car. 
right? He said, look, you are not saved by what you do or what you don't do. Your good works are completely unnecessary. It had that kind of shock value. He was trying to make a point, and I get it. But you know, even if we don't take it quite to that extreme, I think that there is this temptation among us sometimes to think, well, yeah, I'm saved by grace through faith. Why do I need to be about good works? What difference does it make how I live? I'm already light in the Lord, which is true. But you know what? While you cannot make yourself light, while you cannot create that light, drum it up in yourself, it's given to you freely by grace, you can obscure that light. You can live in such a way that you're covering over the light that the Lord has made you to be. Hide it under a bushel basket? No! You should not do that. Just the way we learn in the Sunday school song, as Jesus teaches us here, we can't create that light, but we can obscure it by leading lives of indolence, that we act as though uh, the salvation that Christ has won for us, it doesn't mean anything to us, as though our lives before God, well, we can take it or leave it. Well, I know that I'm saved, that's all that matters. But the Lord has saved you for good works. He has freed you from the burden of the law, but not from the obligation of the law, see. He has set you free for his will, to live in accordance with his good and godly law. Let me put it in more of a positive way and, and offer an analogy for you. Many of you uh, watched the Super Bowl this past week, I'm sure, or maybe watched the, the NFL playoffs. Let me give you a, a football analogy, okay? Yes, Chiefs fans are here. Yes, we did watch that, it was wonderful. Uh, it happens sometimes in a football game, it happens probably just about every game, that the defending team goes off sides. That's where one of the players jumps into the neutral zone. I'm already getting into football jargon. How do you avoid that? Okay. Where the defensive team, they jump off, and it's a penalty. It's a five-yard penalty. You redo the down right away. But there's this funny little uh, wrinkle in football rules. Rather than just calling the play dead, stopping it, and redoing it immediately, they get what's called a free play. Which means, for the offense, they can continue the play just as if nothing happened. Except that they know that no matter what, even if they throw an interception, if they fumble, it doesn't matter. Still, the ball's going to be theirs. Five yards forward, repeat the down. You get a free play. You can just do whatever you want to do. So what do you do? Nine times out of ten. We're going deep, right? You can go for it. You can risk it. You can take that chance because you already know that you're taken care of. Now, you see where I'm going with this? The Christian life is a free play. Christ has already done everything on your behalf and mine. Already you are saved by grace. Already you are set free by his love. So now the rest of our lives, we know that that's taken care of and we can live with boldness and confidence. Our synod president, Matt Harrison, says, let's dare something for the sake of Christ. Not living by fear or, or wondering, well, wait a second, though, what's going to happen to me here? You are already beloved by God. Nothing can change that. Why not devote ourselves to good works? Or to put it another way, what will you and I do since we don't have to do anything, see? But give ourselves wholeheartedly to serving others. As Martin Luther was so fond of saying, oh, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Your neighbor does. Let me leave you with one last thought. 
as we strive to live into this tension, as good, these good works are an unnecessary necessity. On the one hand, before God, they are totally needless. We know that we are saved solely by His grace. But that on the other hand, and at the same time, they are totally necessary because we are saved by grace for the sake of our neighbor. Think about what it's like to live in that tension. Let me, let me give you one last thought from the movie Saving Private Ryan. Most of you, I hope, have seen this movie. Beautiful, powerful movie, movie about World War II. And Captain John Miller, played by Tom Hanks, he's leading this mission in order to bring Private Ryan, Matt Damon, back to his family. Because, and it's a true story, um, that family had already lost three other sons uh, as casualties to the war. And so Captain Miller and his team of eight or ten guys, they're going to rescue Private Ryan, bring him back safely to his family. Well, in the course of that mission, several other men from that team lose their lives. And finally, when they do recover Private Ryan, when they get him safely and they're going to bring him back home, in the course of that last leg of the mission, Captain Miller himself is mortally wounded. And there's this powerful moment at the, toward the end of the movie where Captain Miller, Tom Hanks, he, he's there and he's slumped on a bridge, just laying there waiting for his life finally to drain out of him. And with his last breath, he pulls Private Ryan close. And he whispers to him these words. He says to him, earn this. Earn it. And you might hear that and think, well, well, wait a second, earn this? No, that's not the way it's supposed to be. But hear what he's saying there. The sacrifice has already been made. The deed is already done on his behalf. It's, there's nothing that Private Ryan in that moment can do in order to merit the work that's already been done on his behalf. So what's he saying to him? He's saying, look, live a life that honors what's already been done on your behalf and will never be taken away from you. Live in a way that does justice to what's already been done for you. I hope you can see the application there. See, how much more is it the case that Christ laid down the greatest sacrifice for you and me in order to make you his own, to make you holy and holy his? Nothing can change that, friends. This whole life that we live, it's a free play before the Father. But we strive day by day to bring honor to him do good works for our neighbor so that others might see and give glory to him as well. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Stand to sing.